We're preaching through the book of Acts and turn there, chapter number two, Acts chapter number two. We tried to explain uh, the matter of what these language, well, what the matter of speaking in tongues on the day of Pentecost meant, and the Bible is very, very clear. The word glosso, which is used three times, another word is used that is for languages. There's nothing there about anything ecstatic or, or unusual or anything. It was just languages, other languages from all over the world. If you go to Africa, and, and you'll find all kinds of dialects just in Africa. You can go from one tribe to the other, and they can't speak the same dialect. So we have uh, God on that day made sure that every person who was there that day heard, heard in their own language. Isn't that amazing? And so the Pentecost means much to us because of that, because that's all we are. That's all the church is, is God just breathed in us. That's it. He breathed life into something that was dead, and that's what the church is. We are a living organism for Jesus Christ, and that's what he wants us to be. And we go out of here with what kind of heads? Holy heads, right, of fire. Now, that don't mean they can see them out there, but you know it's burning right all the way down to the heart. Holy heads of fire. We talked about that last week. But you can't, uh, you can't cut the church down without cutting God's blood. You can't do it. You, you can't quench the Spirit without hurting the Holy Spirit. And the Bible does say we can hurt him and grieve him. And when you disregard the church, you dishonor Jesus, for he loved the church and gave himself for it. So I don't know about you, but I'm just going to take the church. Now I'm going to take the church. What about you? Well, I'm going to preach on an unusual subject, and y'all know my feelings on this subject, so don't jump to conclusions when you hear it. Uh, I'm, going to, I'm going to preach today on we need more drunks. <laughs> don't sign up quickly. Wait just a minute. Okay, I want, wait, I want you to sweep me. Let's look what, what the Bible says. And then I'm going to talk to you a while um, about we need more drunk, drunks. Listen to what chapter number two has to say for us today. Peter standing up. This is verse 14 where I am. But Peter standing up with the 11 filled up his voice lifted up his voice and said to them, ye men of Judea and all you that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known to you and hearken to my words. For these are not drunken as you suppose, seeing it's but the third hour of the day. But this is that. That means what they saw is that. Y'all got it? Which was spoken by the prophet Joel. He chose two passages, put them together, and it shall come to pass in the last days. Now, that is the days of a church. That's a church age. We've already been through over 4,000 years 
and people who had not readied themselves for the Messiah. And so in God's foreordained plan, he meant for Jesus to come during the church and start something that would include the whole world. And this is what happens right here. It shall come to pass, I will pour out of my spirit upon all flesh, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. That means that they will speak forth the gospel. And your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. And on my servants and on my handmaidens, I'll pour out in those days of my spirit. That meant the slaves could witness. Think about it. And they shall prophesy. And I will show wonders in the heavens above and signs in the earth beneath and blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun shall be turned into darkness, the moon into blood before. Now, we saw this as that. Now, we're seeing something before. I've come down here. I've come down and point that out for you. Okay, right? This is that. But then you come to the post where it says before. So, we're changing. Because when in the Old Testament, they prophesied about the Messiah, many times it would be a dual prophecy. It would be the prophecy of his coming. Now, what that meant was his coming to Bethlehem and his coming back for the church. So they would have a dual prophecy. That's what this is. And look what he says, before that great and notable day of the Lord come, and it shall come to pass that whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. Somebody ought to bless that. Amen. So this is, he pulls from Joel a little bit from Psalms, and he gives them what's going on now. Joel talked about it. He said, this is not anything that we hadn't heard before. We knew it was going to happen. But the last part hadn't happened yet. It, it hadn't happened yet, but I really believe it's getting close to happening. Hadn't happened yet, but it's going to happen. Folks, when God makes a promise, it's as sure as the next second ticking on the clock. He will, he will come through. So let's look today at a little while as we look at we need more drunks. Now, this is actually Peter's first sermon. He was all about that. That's his first sermon. He he don't. Uh, he hadn't had any kind of training. He hadn't had anybody to help him. He, uh, of course, he had three years with Jesus. I guess that's about as good as it gets. But he hadn't had any formal training as far as the rabbis were concerned, as far as the Pharisees and Sadducees were concerned, as far as all the scholars of the day and the lawyers that was called scholars of the day. And so he didn't have any of that, but he stands up to preach his first sermon and first sermons usually are never forgotten. I remember my first sermon. I remember what I preached on. I remember how long it took me. I preached on Acts chapter 9, where Paul got saved on the road to Damascus, and he got saved in 10 minutes that morning. <laughs> yes, sir. We got him saved quick. <laughs> now, as things is going on, you see the length of Paul getting saved gets longer. But uh, this, this passage here is a blessing to me because you don't ever forget that first sermon. 
Now, these people are all fired up. Now, those that was in that upper room, son, I mean, they're, just, they're lit up. They're fired up. They're filled up. Uh, they got it going on in their heart. They're just exploding, you know, with the power of God in their life. Now, you say, why? Because they know Jesus is alive. They not only saw him, but they saw him go up through the clouds. And they're motivated by the fact that there's a resurrection. If Jesus wasn't alive, would you be motivated to come here today? I wouldn't. No. But I got up knowing that Jesus is alive. Now he's going to stay alive. And one of these days going to come get me and I get to stay alive. And going to come and get you and you get to stay alive. If there was no resurrection, preaching would be fruitless and faith would be foolish and disciples would be deceivers and sin would be sovereign and death would have its dominion and the future would be futile and we would be no different from anybody else in this world but thank God he rose again from the dead and changed our life because now preaching is profitable and faith now is feasible and the disciples are now dependable and sin is subdued and death, thank God, my priesthood of the night has been defeated and the future is fabulous because Christ has been raised from the dead. So now that's what these 120, they're, they're fired up. They're fired up. So Peter stands up. And he starts his first sermon. Notice the first part of this sermon, they mocked. Right before he stood up, and I don't think he, he might not even have stood up had they not been mocking. Listen, folks, you don't have to listen to garbage. Nothing else, just walk away. Go buy you something, a sanitizer to put in your ear. You don't have to let somebody catch you so and say, let me tell you what's going on. Let me tell you what they did. Let me just tell you. Don't, you don't have to listen to that mess. In fact, you'd be better off to straighten them out most of the time. Most of the time, there's just lies. Most of the time, there's just mocking, basically. And so when they were all fired up and they were all excited about Jesus, they mocked them. They say, you bunch of drunks. That's what they're saying. Look, the, these men are full of new wine. They're mocking them. They're mocking them because of what they, what they appeared to be happening in their life, that they were a bunch of drunks. So I just say, if they were drunk, give us some more of them. I'll take some more, won't you? If they're drunk on, on new wine, like they said, if they're drunk on the Holy Ghost, I'll just take some more. Now you say, well, what, what does that new wine stuff mean? Well, when they started mocking, uh, uh, the word kind of means to jeer and jest. That's the word. It actually comes from the root word, which means to ridicule. So they were ridiculing the first church. Don't think we're the first ones that have been ridiculed. They ridicule just the one. Listen, they ridicule the baby church. How many people ridicule babies? How many people go to the hospital and say, that's the ugliest kid I've ever seen. Good gracious, alive. How'd you bring him into the world? <laughs> Nobody not mocks a baby. No, they, 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 they coo over the baby. You know, they, oh, the baby's so, and he may be ugly. But you wouldn't dare say it, right? 
Am I telling you the truth? You see, so the new church was mocked because it's a baby church. So, folks, if it was mocked when it's a baby, don't feel all upset when we're mocked down. I've been doing this now a long time, and I can tell you right now, if you preach the Word of God and stand for something, I'm, I mean stand for something, and then your church stands with something and stands with you with something, you're going to be mocked. I've been threatened to burn my house down, to shoot me in the head and shoot with a shotgun, blow my head off. I, 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 I've had all those kind of things because people will ridicule when someone is fired up for Jesus Christ. And so Peter says that they supposed them to be drunk. That means they just thought they were. They just thought they were. Um, I don't know about you, but I hate mobile patrols. I hadn't got none of that stuff. I, I don't get it on my phone because I don't want to see half my church every, every Sunday morning. Although I have seen quite a few folks I know on there. But, you know, in my opinion, a person ought not to be condemned by the world until they're found guilty by a court. And I'm against, if anybody here has got anything to do with that, I'm against that. I'm also against them throwing that camel out of the fair. <laughs> that ain't in my sermon, but that's extra, amen. But, but, but Peter said, you just think they're drunk. He said, you suppose they're drunk. In every crowd, you have these doubters of God's miraculous power, don't you? Every crowd has them. The word new wine means sweet wine. That's the translation of it. Sweet wine or sweeter wine. All commentators and commentaries and scholars will agree on that. They have no disagreement. So there are two explanations for that word. Sweet wine meant that, number one, if it was something that would make you drunk, you had to put additives in it. Additives in it. And so that, that helped it to ferment quicker and it would be more potent in its power. And so that, that's why they would call it Sweet wine, because they, they would add dates or they add pomegranates or they added something to it that, that would make it ferment, and then they could get drunk on it. People will find a way to get drunk no matter what. They will. I've seen people turn up rubbing alcohol and drinking. 99.9% .9 rubbing alcohol and drinking. They'll do it. So... If you put additives in, that's why when I was a boy and I worked in the grocery store and I looked up and I'd seen this old farmer coming in, or he looked like an old farmer, that's how he appeared to be. He'd have his uh, overalls on, he'll have only one gallus, you know, fastened, and on this side his underwear was showing, and, and, and he'd have old uh, cow manure on his, all, all over his boots, and he'd come walking in there, and, and we'd, we'd have a sale on sugar, 69 cents, I remember that, 69 cents, five-pound bag of sugar. He'd walk out there with a basket full of sugar. He'd buy nothing else. And I said, I know where he's going. I know what he's doing. And it happened all the time back then. 
They can't do it now. Back now, you can't even buy something for a cold now over the counter. But then it was happening all the time. And, and so I knew exactly what was going on. But uh, secondly, sweet wine by translators, which meant pure, could mean pure wine or grape juice as we would know it today. Just, just the actual best wine that you could make yourself. And folks, listen, by the way, those of you who like to, like to try to take the Bible and prove that it's all right for you to drink alcohol, you can't do it, number one, not with me. Because I know too many scriptures, you can't do it. Now, now, you might fool yourself, but you're doing it because the devil's telling you you want to drink while you drink. You don't drink because the Bible gives you the authority to do it. You didn't do a lot of other things the Bible said do. But you said, the Bible says it's okay to drink. Oh, I'm going to run and do that right quick. But it was just grape juice. That's why Jesus never used that word wine uh, when he was talking about the Lord's Supper. Couldn't be anything about that for a minute. Are getting that? So you say, well, why do you want more drunks? Well, Ephesians 5.18 says that we are to be filled with the Spirit. In fact, he, if you go on and read it from chapter 5 all the way through the end of chapter 6, without being filled with the Spirit, you can't have a good marriage. Without being filled with the Spirit, you can't be a good uh, employer or employee. Without being filled with the Spirit, you cannot be a good servant. You, without being filled with the Spirit, you cannot stand against the evil one. So, we need to be filled with the Spirit, right? I mean, I think last week we established that pretty good. So, we all need those flaming heads. So, you say, well, why do you need more drunks? Because when you compare the two, there is some equal qualities I'd like to see in our people that we see in drunk people. Now, y'all follow with me just a minute, okay? Don't get all upset. There, the, there's this contrasting qualities yet it compares first of all when you get drunk you get bold a little old boy wouldn't fight nothing get drunk and he'd fight a 600 pound hippo you know he bold when he gets drunk and that's what we need we need somebody filled with the spirit of God to where they're bold about Jesus Christ bold they get I tell you something else they get more talking if you can't shut a drunk up I mean, we, we've had them in and out of here falling all over. So there used to be one here in town. I loved him. And, and uh, I preached his funeral. And uh, uh, I, I, he would come in and he'd be just, I mean, he'd just be falling over, stacking drunk. Brother Glenn, I don't tell you, you the best preacher in this town. I don't care what anybody says. I don't care what they say about you. You're the best preacher in this town. That's why I come to this church. Then he'd fall over in the pew, you know. So, a drunk gets talkative. You say, well, how can, where's the verse? Look at Acts chapter 4, verse number 31. said, they were filled with the Spirit of God, and they all spoke with boldness. That's what it says. Secondly, a drunk is less likely to get hurt in an accident than someone who's sober. Figure that out. Figure that out. I mean, you, you, they, 
you can see that it's usually the drunks that come out on the winning end when there is a tragedy. When there's a car wreck or something like that, it seems like it's the drunk that's less likely to get hurt. Stephen says in Acts chapter 7 that he was filled with the Spirit. And while they were stoning him, the Bible said, he was filled with the Spirit. And he said, keep on stoning, boys. I just seen Jesus stand up up there. And I'm going to be up there in a minute. And all you're going to have is a carcass of blood down here. Because I'm going to be with Jesus Christ. You see, you can take some things when you're filled with the Spirit. That's what's wrong with some of you. You're eggshell Christians. Oh, don't you say no, you hurt my feelings. Don't you make the right decision, preacher. You'll hurt my feelings. I ought to get to say, everybody ought to get to saying something. No, they don't. At home, you try to do that and see what happens. Even you and your husband get into it. Y'all can't even make a decision on your own. But so, just remember, you get, you get to the point to where you get talkative, but what God wants us talkative about is him. He wants us talkative about the gospel. So a drunk will do that. And they're, they're, they, they, they don't get offended. If you, if you go to a door and they say, well, I don't like the church, I don't like you, and they slam the door. They're not offended. They just go on to the next stone. Right? They don't get hurt. In fact, the, Jesus even said, he told us, be not offended in me. Read it, John 16. 16.3 or 16.1. Read it. Be not, blessed is he who is not offended in me. So if you've got fragileness a bit written on you, you won't be a good Christian because you're going to have some things said about you and there's going to be some things done to you and there's going to be some uh, little clicks get against you and there's going to be some planning around you and they're going to be, you're going to be left out sometimes. You're not going to be included. So just get ready. It's going to happen. You'll lose most of your friends when you, get, when you step out and get bold for Jesus Christ. Number three, a drunk loses his money and don't worry about it. Woo, I wish we had a bunch of them, don't you? Well, they just empty the bill for us. What we got? Got any more? Let's throw in there. And they, you see, they don't mind giving. Tithing don't bother them. Giving above the tithe don't bother them. No, that, that girl, that's why they turn the, the lights down in these, these bars and clubs because them girls are really ugly. <laughs> And they turn the lights down so you really can't see. And so you get about half shot. Here they come. You give them some money. They bring you back a dollar when you gave them a 50. <laughs> you don't care. We need some Christians like that. Looser with their money. But here, let me tell you, here's the main thing. A drunk is surrendered to what filled him. I'm going to say it again. A drunk is surrendered to what filled him. The Bible says, I believe it's in the book of Solomon, it says that he was given to wine. You see, you don't drink wine, you give yourself to it. It takes control. It takes over. 
You no longer control your life. It does. I mean, I've been there, folks. I know what it's like. You can't con me on that. You can't con con. You just can't. And, and the Bible says this in Ecclesiastes, I sought in my heart to give myself unto wine. That's what Solomon said. So he, he didn't care for his future. He didn't care for his family. He had no feelings for anybody around him. All, all, everything. He, he said, I don't care about this kingdom. I'm just going to give myself to wine. You ever made that decision? You never should even give it a thought to put alcohol in your mouth as a beverage. As a medicine, fine. But don't drink six-pack just to get over a sore throat, all right? It's not what that's about. And when somebody wants to say, well, tell me where the Bible says not do it, you take them to Proverbs 23, verse 31 through 32, and there it says not to even look at it when it moveth itself in the cup or when it's fermenting. Leave it alone. I think we ought to be teetotalers. Can I get some witness? Are you a teetotaler? Okay. Everybody a teetotaler in here? <laughs> Don't lie. Okay. We, you know, before I got saved, when, when I did go to church, and they'd ask a question, you know, or something like that, the preacher asked a question, I'd look around, everybody raised their hand, I'd raise mine too. And I knew, I knew that, was, that wasn't right. <laughs> but I'd do it. Up it'd go. That's what got me in trouble. That's what got me under conviction. Somebody happened to see me raise my hand that I didn't think I saved. And oh, that was, I messed up. Because from that time on, they wouldn't leave me alone till I got saved. But I thank God that I got a hand up about right here. Just about that far for a man who'd been praying for me to be saved. And I thank God for it. So, you know what I'm worried about? Nobody's mocking the church anymore. Because we've got no drunks. You see, a drunk will lose control and do foolish things, but filled people, they lose selfish control and do godly things. It's a difference. Strong drink temporarily gives you pleasure. The Holy Ghost gives you lasting joy. The side effects of liquor are sad, sadness, sorrow. Anything you want to think of, bad, that's the side effect. But the side effects of the Spirit is <clears throat> people getting saved, souls going to heaven, having service to the King, and someday walking in heaven. I'll tell you, it ought, we just need some drunks like that. We're drunk on the Spirit. Fill me, Lord. Fill me. Fill me that I can walk out of here with a flame that they cannot see, but a boldness that is obviously in me. And that's what we're seeing. Now, look at the method, and I'll, I'll hurry up here. Look at the method of his first sermon. When you go to your first sermon, you don't know what an outline means. I didn't have a, a pastor, really, when I... When I um, was called to preach. I had one when I got saved, and I had a temporary one when, uh, when I was called to preach, but he had no education. 
and couldn't, could barely read. And um, so I didn't have any, anybody to help me. I didn't have anybody to take me under their wing, buy me books, and show me things. And I didn't have anybody like that. I wasn't a prophet or son of a prophet. There's Bibles in her house and, and, and Sunday school lessons where my mom and dad taught Sunday school uh, lessons, but I, I, I didn't have any of that stuff. I couldn't just go get a Sunday school book and teach out of it because I tell you not to do it now. So I heard one day of a guy named J. Vernon McGee, and I turned on his radio program, and he had the awfulest sounding voice I ever heard in my life. But I got hooked on him. I learned most of my theology from him. There's a few things he was wrong on, and I disagreed with him on it. Well, I thought he was wrong on it, but he, just a few. But the fundamentals of the faith, oh, he was so right on. Such a, and he was a godly man. And he found out that I didn't have the kind of education I needed and I didn't have, uh, you know, the kind of library that I needed. And he put me on his complete mailing list where he would send me all of his backlog of tapes. And he'd send me months of tapes. And while I was out, nobody wanted to work with me. He'd say, do I have to go with him? Because I'd open the door of, my, of the bucket truck, you know, and, I, and I'd roll the window down and uh, I'd open the door and I'd stretch that thing out as far as it could and I'd have that radio turned so loud, I guess it busted the speakers because I was listening to Dr. J. Vernon McGee. <laughs> nobody wanted to work with me. And so... I didn't know much about methods, but I do know the. In fact, there was a preacher not too long ago that told me that somebody walked up on stage. I mean, you know, during during the service and laid a card on on the seat, and afterwards he said, "I didn't think anything about it. I just put it in my coat." And said uh, a few days later, said uh, I preached a funeral, and I went to. Put, when I went to put my hand in my pocket, I realized the same suit I had on the day. I was at the hospital visiting a man named Fred. And he said, while I was talking to him, Fred was getting frantic, trying to tell me something, trying to just, just trying to do something to, 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 to get me. I didn't know what he wanted. I, I said, what, what, what does he want? What's wrong? What's happening? And he pulled that card out of his pocket and opened it up and said, Get off of my oxygen hose. I'm dying. <laughs> Folks, listen. Let's just be honest. Some of us have left some people stand on our oxygen hoses. And we're not getting the breath of God like we should. Help me. Don't, am I telling you the truth? We've been cut off. Oh, we have, we have the power necessary. It's all there. Plenty of oxygen but we won't let it fill us. So his method was standing, verse 14. He didn't stand much. That's why I believe standing is a, a proper stance for the church because in Jewish faith, it, the, the rabbis all taught sitting down. You can teach any way you want to. You can preach any way you want to. I don't think it matters as long as the word of God is going out. 
But if I take something, when I get all, you know, get all humped up and moved up, I just, I, I'd have a hard time with a chair. And I've had to. Uh, Brother Pat prayed. He's probably had more. He's the only person I know in the church had more knee surgeries than I have. And I've had to, I've had to sit on a stool for a few weeks or, or maybe one week or something like that. And every time I did, somebody called me Joel Osteen. <laughs> and now he quit sitting. He heard I didn't do it, and now he's quitting sitting on a stool. So he stands up. And I think Peter was so full of God, he didn't care what they said. You see, what, what that does, not only did he stand, but he was strong, verse number 14 said. He stood up with the 11. It was just the apostles. The leadership stood up. But Peter was a spokesman. He's the main He's the main man. Remember, it's the same Peter who just uh, 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 six weeks before had said, I don't know him. I don't know who Jesus is. That same man. Six weeks later, he's standing up in Jerusalem where they crucified his Lord. And he stood up and the Bible said he lifted up his voice. That's why I like loud preaching. Lifted up his voice. We've sat on those steps probably where he stood and where he preached. And again, my mind, when I, every time I go, I see, the, I see the steps full and I see the hillsides over there full and I see people everywhere as, G, as, as Peter's preaching his message. And so he, he preached strong. He lifted up his voice. He preached with veracity. He said, be this known unto you. In other words, he said, I'm telling you the truth. He preached with veneration. He said, hearken to my words. Peter expected them to listen. First of all, because he stood up in authority. Second of all, he was telling them the truth and he expected them to hear it. That's what every preacher ought to be. He ought to expect his congregation to hear it. He ought to expect when a man stands up and opens this book for folks to hear it. But he also was a simple sermon. First, he answered their question. Second, he told them about Christ. And third, he enlisted their commitment. <laughs> you know, I know every now and we got, we got folks who will come to preaching and leave. I mean, come to Sunday school and leave before preaching. Now, I don't know how to take that, whether they just don't like me or they just don't like the word. I got a real good idea. Since I kind of get in your face, they don't like the word. Now, they'll say they don't like the preacher, but it's not the preacher. It's the preacher's message that they can't take. So they head for the hills when it comes preaching time or somewhere else. And so it was simple. I believe we ought to preach simple. When, when, when I use a drunken illustration, can't you understand that? You can. It's simple. It's simple because you've seen that happen so many times. And when he says they're not drunk, the comparison, though, of the two, the opposites, as you compare their opposites. And so it was simple. Write this verse down, 2 Corinthians 3. 3.12, seeing then we have this hope, we use great plainness of speech. Be simple. 
And fourthly, be scriptural. Peter, in this text, refers to three Old Testament passages. Joel, that we read, he read it, we read it earlier. Psalm 16, verse 8 through 11, and Psalm 110, verse number 1. They didn't have a New Testament. They had the words that Jesus gave them, so he could definitely share those words, but they didn't have a Bible where he could say to his congregation, hey, open, open the book of John, open the book of Acts. They couldn't do that. All they had was the Old Testament. So what did he draw from? The Old Testament. And it was scriptural. I, uh, I do expositional preaching because I believe it's the best preaching it is. I, every, occasionally, I'll do a topical message, but most of the preaching I do is expositional, and I like to take a text and work it and make sure that when I get through with it, that people will understand what was said. That don't always happen, obviously, but that is our intent. It's scriptural. And so, well, you know, some of the scriptures are hard. I, I, can't, I can't even read some of those scriptures. Well, you probably could if you'd listened in English class. If you'd read that little reader book they gave you, you know, in first grade, you probably could read. But it's written in 1611 King James Version English, which is proper English, by the way. And very few of us know how to speak proper. I, you, I, of course, I do. You hear me all the time, right? <laughs> but he, whatever language you speak in, every person there heard him speak in their own language simply. And scripturally. And then he gave them the message to repent. And that's the message today I'm giving you. There was people there that day and they didn't believe that Jesus was who he claimed to be. There was people there that day that didn't believe the resurrection at all. In fact, they had even staged a lie to make it look like there was no resurrection. Everything had been done to try to make Jesus look bad. But friend, you can't make the God of glory look bad. And Jesus will rise up and show you. And so he rose from the dead. And then not only that, in Jerusalem, he busted open all those other graves and they're walking around town, dead people walking around town. There was walking dead before they ever come up with a movie. <laughs> 